Welcome to Important Not Important. This is episode 28. My name is Quinn Emmett. And I'm Brian Colbert Kennedy. Today's question is, Brian, why the hell is space exploration so important when the world is on fire? (laughs) Uh, And to help us answer that, we've got the very awesome Emily Calandrelli on the line. Uh, yeah, she is, uh, she's impressive. The Space Gal, uh, you can find her online at The Space Gal, basically everywhere. All over um, the internet. Yeah, she is, boy, is she impressive. Brian, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Do you think anyone's ever said that about you or me? Wow, is Brian impressive? <laughs> uh, I'm going to say hard no on me, and yeah. quite maybe maybe for you. I don't think so. I okay. can't imagine a circumstance where that would have been an appropriate measure. Another word, maybe, annoying, yeah. loud. Sure, um, sure. I think we talked about like the socializes at the inappropriate time thing before. Yeah. Um, obnoxious, relentless, tired. Like- <laughs> All these words work. Um, too much. I bet I got a just, lot of he's too much. <laughs> just too much. <laughs> Emily, not so much. She's too much in a lot of ways, and it's 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 like the good amazing. ways. Yeah. Um, she comes from West Virginia. Uh, she went to uh, West Virginia University. She's an MIT engineer turned Emmy-nominated science TV host. No big she deal. works with fucking Bill Nye. She's a children's author and, uh, you know, an underachiever. Yeah, she's a slacker, basically. Yeah, basically. Um, <laughs> typical. Among other amazing topics uh, we get into, we get into Brian's relative standing in ours as guardia we do um, i was so impressed happy that we talked about as guardia and she you? knew who it was she's not impressed by i you. was i was just thrilled that another person knew who it was besides you and i yeah i can't i'm uh, yeah anyways uh <laughs> <laughs> just ridiculous we get into the pros and cons of twitter uh uh-huh. which is everybody's favorite topic of discussion because society's crumbling twitter is insane what a couple it, of weeks it's been. It can be so good and then Fuck. Uh, wow, just wow sometimes. Just just wow. There was a headline the other day. This is Facebook, not Twitter. I don't remember what it is exactly, but it was like, Mark Zuckerberg apologizes for apologizing for Nazis. And you're like, wow, <laughs> man, it is just not going great out there right now. It really like, does. And she mentioned it and it's been mentioned by guests before. Like sometimes I just am like, you gotta be shitting me and want to throw my phone and never look at it like again. But it's those type of headlines where you're like, what? Uh, like that we're here, we're there now. Okay, got it. We're there yep. now. You know, uh, president threatening people, threatening Iran uh, in all caps yeah. on Twitter. Oh, like God. before I've even had a chance to have my morning poop, you know? Uh, just... Give, give me a minute. I thought you were going to say before I've had my morning coffee. And then I don't have morning coffee. I'm not, I'm not an addict like you. No. On I'm that a, note, I'm not an addict. You know what, Brian? Yeah. Here's the thing. Usually yep. we record together. People know that, I think. Uh, we're yep. separated in the summers, um, part of the terms of the separation. Very sadly. <laughs> um, so I'm not there to, to take care of you on recording days. And that meant today you didn't have coffee, which you revealed to me about, what, eight minutes before we started? There was none in Seven, your house. 17, okay? I should have known, though, because can I tell you what? Your mood. You can tell. You can uh, tell. Yeah, your mood without coffee, yeah. not going to cut it. I'm not going to cut it. Man. It's not good for me. It's not good, it's not for, good the for anybody. People. It's not good for our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> and what did you do? You were such a sweet angel, uh, like you always are, and you, uh, and you got me some, uh, this time via Postmates, because uh, as previously mentioned, you are in another state. Did we and figure it was, out what the past tense of Postmates is? Well, I 
Postmated? Emily said postmated, I think, and I'm going to go with her because she's a genius. Postmates yeah, did? I'm not going to. Do you uh, take away the S? That seems weird to take away the S. Right, because it's the name of the company. Yeah. Did you know Post- that if you're a Red Sox, the proper singular word is Red Sox? I'm proud oh, really? to be, I'm like, you get, like, say, let's say, let's say you were good at athletics. Right. And you signed a, um, a contract with the Red Sox. You'd say, I'm yeah. really proud to be a Red Sox today. That just seems very wrong. A, right? A Red Sox. But yeah, but it's not, I mean, Sox is a fucking made up word. Right. It's very confusing. Anyway, thank you Anyways, for the coffee. Anyways, did the coffee help? Um, by the way, I'm glad we got it because we had some technical difficulties and I just literally completely fell off the line and you guys kept going and I don't <laughs> think that would have been possible without whatever 16 ounces of coffee you finally got. It was it was so delicious. Here's what happened. It was actually sort of, a, I felt bad, basically. I heard my doorbell ring while, like in the middle of my rant. Uh, uh-huh. uh, so I like didn't want to stop. So we kept going. Doorbell rang again. I was like, well, fuck. Uh, maybe like once this is over, I'll be able to just run outside and Postmates delivery person will have just like left the cup at my door. So I get a moment. I ran outside, open the door, no coffee at the door. But then I look up and I see that there's a car in the driveway. And I was like, oh my God, she fucking stayed. I can't she believe she's still stayed. here. Well, you know, what's interesting is I finally looked down at my phone after all this and I had about 10,000 messages from her yep. saying like, yep, yep, hey yep. man, I'm fucking here. Yeah. <laughs> well, so so she was still there and I was like wait I was like oh my god like here yes yes and I uh like go to put my shoes on to go meet her and she gets out of her car by the way it's like 97 degrees in LA today she's pregnant and has just been sitting in her car waiting you for me to answer my fucking, fucking door monster uh, but she was such an angel and I was obviously extremely apologetic and she has said that she, the air was blasting in her car so I think everything ended up fine well I didn't say it ended up good it's it not ended great up Fine. It's not great. Okay. Anyway, well, let's you. think thank about. Let's try to rectify that next time. Don't thank me. Thank her. <laughs> I did so many times. <sighs> and good to know you just bailed in the middle of our, of our uh, our conversation with Emily. No, no, I didn't. I would never do that. Good thing it didn't happen when I dropped off the line. Um, <laughs> she just like, has no one to talk to. Look, here's the thing. Nobody wants to hear about this. Let, we should just go talk to Emily. Let's go talk to Emily. Okay. Bye. Our guest today is Emily Calandrelli, and together we're going to ask, why the hell is space exploration so important when the world is uh, sometimes literally on fire? It's a question I get a lot, and I'm sure a lot of uh, space folks do. Uh, Anyways, our guest is awesome. Uh, Emily, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. For sure. We're very pumped to have you here. Um, And if you don't mind, just tell us real quick uh, who you are and what you do. Yeah. So uh, I guess real quick, I'm basically an MIT engineer turned science communicator, meaning I am a science TV show host. I do a little bit of science writing. I have a series of children's books. Uh, But yeah, my background's in science and engineering. And now my quest is to make science fun for everyone. Ah, that's amazing. (laughs) And this gets weirder every time. But as is usual, that is also Brian's exact background. Uh, Very strange. Very Super strange. weird, but the world is full of Oh, very cool. Yeah. Wait, so at MIT engineer also? Oh, no. Total, I'm, total same I'm thing. I'm fully fucking kidding. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, I was like, wow. Uh, Great. I am nowhere near your level. Not, uh, I'm not even on the same playing field, really. Oh, oh well, all right. No, no sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, all right, so so let's uh, let's set up our, our conversation for today. We are uh, big believers in, in uh, action-oriented questions here on the show. Uh, we want to get to 
the bottom of, of today's topic so that um, everybody gets it. And, and then um, because we are living in times that call for action. Such uh, a gentle uh, way of putting it. <laughs> Not full on revolution. <laughs> uh, the swearing and the anger comes later. Uh, uh, but yeah, and then we want to uh, come up with some, some uh, very specific steps that everyone uh, can take to uh, to help actually make a, a change in the in the universe. Yeah, I like it. Um, all right. So, Emily, we do start with one important question to get at the heart of why you're here today. Instead of saying, tell us your life story, we like to ask, Emily, why are you vital to the survival of the species? Wow. Um, uh, I don't uh-huh. know that I would say <laughs> that I am vital to the be survival bold, be of the species. <laughs> uh, quite honestly, I do not think I'm <laughs> vital to the survival <laughs> of the human species, but I do try to do my part to make the human species a little bit better in my own communities. And so I think that one way that I am working to do that is by uh, using empathy to drive my science communication. Interesting. Um, I'm I'm from West Virginia. Uh, West Virginia is um, the number one state in the country when it comes to the fewest number of people that believe that global warming is happening, Mm -hmm. uh, which is always very frustrating as a West Virginian to know. But, you know, because I'm from that community and from that culture, um, I understand that there's more to it than simply, you know, people not understanding the science. It's not that these people are ignorant or stupid. There are many, many factors. Um, many corporate, yeah, there's a lot of the, on the line. Um, there's a lot of corporate influence from very powerful, rich coal companies Mm -hmm. that are, uh, taking advantage of poor communities in West Virginia. And all, obviously the coal industry plays a huge part because that was something that drove a lot of jobs throughout West Virginia for a very long time. Um, and so for them, they see the whole environmental movement uh, as a movement that, you know, people think of as environmentally friendly, but that is not a movement that has been friendly to them. Sure. So, and they're hundred percent correct. Yeah. I mean, there's, uh, there's parts of it that, you know, I think are a little bit overstated, like the fact that, um, you know, there has been more market and economic factors that have been driving the coal industry to its death <laughs> rather mm-hmm. than simply environmental regulations. You know, now that there are cheaper alternatives, we work in a capitalistic environment and coal industry that is, you know, not quite the cheapest option in the entire world anymore is not going to live on forever when there are cheaper alternatives. But mm-hmm. they want to blame everything, or some people want to blame everything on you know, Obama era environmental regulations. Sure, sure. But there's a lot of factors. What I'm saying basically is that it's a very nuanced issue and that we won't get to that nuance unless we lead with empathy and learn to listen to these communities Mm -hmm. because these West Virginia people are good, hardworking, wonderful people that just have a lot of challenges, right? And we won't understand those challenges and help them to move on into the future, to a, a new future that doesn't have to rely on this outdated energy source of coal, um, unless we kind of listen to them and are empathize with their challenges. Sure. And, and, and I think that is so vital. And, and one of the folks we talked to uh, early on was uh, Reverend Mitch Hescox. I'm not sure if yeah. you're familiar with him. Uh, he uh, leads some evangelical uh, climate action. Um, but his story is wow. really interesting. He is uh, has uh, coal mining engineering degrees 
his entire family was coal miners. His dad and his yeah. granddad, uh, I might mangle this, uh, both had black lung. Um, so, wow. you know, his, again, getting to the nuance, because nobody wants to be yelled at by Greenpeace anymore. Like, I totally mm-hmm. get it. I, it's, it's no fun. That's not a way to get anything done. You have to listen. You have to empathize. And you have to understand there's so many layers to this. You know, they, uh, you know, these folks uh, aren't happy about having their livelihood ripped away. And they're also not happy that it turns out that their livelihood made their entire family sick. Um, you know, it's, right. it's, it's exactly. very, very complicated. Um, but another message, another conservative climate activist talked to us about is uh, when we said, and it was a little bit of Mitch and, and another one uh, w- was basically the messenger at in many phases, especially sort of this last third, which is getting these, these hard to reach groups or hard to get through to groups over the line. Cause everyone else is convinced uh, the messenger is much more important than the message. Someone who can yeah. inherently empathize with those folks who they trust more than, you know, stupid me and Brian in our dumb podcast. Um, <laughs> you know, it's someone who gets it, who doesn't have to be from there like you are, but boy, does that make a difference? It does. And I love that phrase. The messenger is more important than the message. That is so, so I've found to be true and true over and over again. Yeah. And basically we said, how can we support you? What should we do? And they're like, shut up, get out of the way, just donate to us so we can do our jobs. And I was like, great, if (laughs) if that's the answer, I don't care. Whatever the means is that gets us there, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would would also say that, you know, you can recognize that you're important in your own communities and that you can have your own impact um, with people who love and respect you. So, you know, for me, that means in just a very small way, talking to my parents about climate change and science, because neither of my parents are scientists or engineers. Um, They grew up in West Virginia and were way more supportive of coal growing up than I ever was. Mm -hmm. Um, But by talking to them, my brother and I, my brother's a math teacher. So both of their kids grew up to be these analytical, logical, scientifically minded people. Interesting. Um, And you know, my family's pretty religious as well. And so there's a lot of factors going on between the differences between my parents and me and sure. my parents and my brother. And so just talking to my parents and giving them these scientific arguments, under, giving them, you know, empowering them with uh, uh, the scientific way of thinking, they can use that to bring to their community, to bring sure. the people, bring to their friends and family, because, you know, their friends and family are way more likely to listen to my parents than to their uh, like feminist, angry feminist, liberal daughter <laughs> right. who may have come who to think of to as MIT. an outsider. Yeah, 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 exactly. So yeah, just talking to the people that you love so that they can talk to their friends and family, that really helps. Well, it's just like the idea of, you know, bring your, bring your most popular friend to the voting booth with you because they will go and spread that message a little more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it, it really does matter. Well, that's uh, awesome. Can can I ask how that has gone with your parents? Definitely extremely well, like way better than oh, any type of um, conversation that I would have with extended family members. I have some extended family members that are also very progressive and also very scientifically minded. Um, mm-hmm. But there are some that have had lots of angry comments to me on Facebook <laughs> from various opinions that I've had over the years. But my parents 
love me more than anyone in the world. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So I think I have, I will never find a more captive audience than my parents. So, um, when you find someone, the other way. Yeah, yeah, I mean, for them, I was very lucky because they support me in everything that I've done, even though they don't often understand it. Right. And so they, yeah, I, they listen to everything. They're willing to be wrong. They are willing to learn new things. And that's, you know, all I can ask. God, that's, that's awesome. And it is all you can ask. Anything more than that would be, uh, wouldn't be fair, right. you know, considering exactly. their, yeah. their background and their history there and, and all the things that they believe in. Um, yeah. Interesting. So you're, you're fighting the hard fight. All right. Yeah. So we do this thing. Let's establish some context uh, for today, which means we call us uh, Context 101 with Professor Brian. It's, it's not pretty at times. He does his best. Uh, but we are firm believers that it's like, a, like we said, it's like a book report thrown together the night before. But we're firm believers that since most of our listeners aren't actual scientists, didn't go to MIT, uh, that we should make sure they're operating from a base understanding for each episode or something like that. And he gets really excited about this. So we try to cut him some slack. Even if his, uh, it's so fun, even if his facts are just all over the place. So, um, Brian, talk to us about the history of space exploration. No problem. All right. Well, we've been looking up to the sky, you know, since, uh, I don't know, how old are we? Uh, (laughs) current, current, uh, humans, Uh, 200,000 years, 300,000 years, something like that. Great. So for that long and, um, you know, man, imagine how clear the sky must have been back then. Right. Uh, no, let's talk about living in Los Angeles, no light pollution. We didn't even have fire at that point, but it was probably pretty distracting too. I would think like a hundred percent distracting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, we've been looking up there forever. Uh, had no idea what it meant. Uh, A lot of ideas though. Most of them probably uh, bad, probably a little uh, off base. Finally saw through a telescope though. in like uh, the 1600s, I think, um, saw, saw some Mm. moons, probably some planets relatively close up. It must've blown mind. I can't. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, right. So, but, but, you know, was anybody uh, like listening? Did anybody care? Basically, everybody was fighting some sort of war uh, most days of the week. In the 1600s? Yeah. Uh, if they didn't have the plague. <laughs> or, yeah, dying from the plague. <laughs> or they just burned you at the stake. Uh, so, all right. Fast forward, thank God. And uh, we take a picture of the moon in um, the 1800s or something like that. Well, you know, and again, Plenty of wars still, conquest, colonies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, meanwhile, uh, oh, Jules Verne comes along, right? And he's talking about, oh, hey, I think we can go up there. And people are just like, well, where, where? <laughs> up where? And he's like, there. And they're like, yeah, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? And then so he just wrote some cool stories about it. Uh-huh. And then some Russian cat, whose name I cannot pronounce and won't even try, published the first like real paper on potential space travel. Uh-huh. And then there was uh, Goddard as well. Right. Oh yeah. No. No. I know. I know. I'm just not trying to be like super American centric about this. Well. But uh, yeah, we're we're gonna do pretty bad later. So he was, you know, Goddard. Yeah, pretty uh, uh, huge. He he basically grabbed a pen and a napkin and was like, "All right, well, this is a rocket." And then everybody was like, "Uh huh, you're drunk. Bye bye." And, and then he said, "No, I'm serious. This is a fucking rocket." And then he launched a rocket. Yeah. And then everything took off, right? Yeah. Pretty great. Um. Well, you know. Okay. So. One way to, to put it, I don't think anybody felt that way at the time, but, you know, then Germans started kicking ass, okay? What, uh, so we're, ass. In the, we're in the thir- 20s, 30s now, so now they were, we're also kicking ass at other things, like kicking extinguishing of races of people and, border, uh, and borders. But yes. So again, with a, you get where I'm going now, which is like everyone has 
always sort of worked on space while simultaneously also dealing with a bunch of other terrible shit. Sure, but w- yes, I mean, we can have an entire podcast about how so much of the space tech comes from military races and vice versa. Like, yeah, you're, yeah. You're welcome for the chips inside your iPhone because of the space shuttle, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, yes. All right. That, okay, so that's like a whole thing that I have going on here. So just right. stop. Uh, okay, so anyway, so now uh, we're on to the shit people know about, like uh, some balloons go up and uh, some more like starter rockets. Uh-huh. Most people are are generally terrified of, of what the Germans are cooking up. Eisenhower's like, uh, let's go to space. Right. Um, and right. then Sputnik. Uh-huh. That, that hurt. Yeah. We got our asses handed to us and not for the first or last time. Right. Yeah. 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 That's fair. It, it kept going. <laughs> so, so what happened next? Um, uh, well, okay. So now we have, uh, pictures, uh, from space. We mm-hmm. send up some animals. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of questions about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, solar probes. Sure. Great. Great. Uh, so we're in the, I guess the fifties, so forties, world war two, we're under the yeah, Cold yeah, yeah. war, uh, Bay of pigs. <laughs> right. And then we have, uh, uh, Yuri, uh, Gagarin and Alan Shepard and, uh, Valentina Tereshkova, uh, samples, uh-huh. docking, Mars kicks, Venus picks, right. Mercury, Apollo, but also, Vietnam, uh, Russia goes into Afghanistan. Yeah, and the Viking, and the Voyager, and the space shuttle, and the Hubble 80s, telescope. So we're in the first Gulf War, Rwanda, ISS, the Pathfinder. Uh, I'm I'm playing your game here. Uh, the second <laughs> Gulf War, nine eleven. Uh, we got the Kepler, we got Falcon nine, and now we're here at the present day. <laughs> right where the Russians are kicking our asses again. Yes, but you get my point. Uh, my points. We've been doing this for like a very long time and uh, also not for a very long time, but we've, we've stalled in a lot of ways. Um, but most importantly, we've, we've always pushed into space for one reason or another. And there's certainly no reason to slow down or stop now. Well, I would, thank you. I would argue it's more important than ever, uh, instead of stopping that we should double down, but let's get to our question. Our amazing guest who may have run away after all of that. Uh, is entirely possible. No, I was enjoying that that history lesson. That's very good. Well, don't don't, don't fucking bank on it. Um, don't go don't go teaching that to anybody. Good job, Brian. Um, so let's then focus on our our question uh, and bring Emily uh, more thoroughly into this, so she can tell us how all the ways were wrong. Uh, oh, why yes. the Please hell is space exploration so important when the world is on actual fire? Um, so <laughs> Emily. Let's back up a little bit, or I guess put in even broader context. How did today's current crises differ, I guess, vis-a-vis threatening funding or threatening space exploration and scientific progress in general to the past? Like when you go out and you pitch, you know, science and, and your enthusiasm for it to so many folks through your books, through through TV uh, through your circles, I'm sure. And we talked about, uh, you know, your your people from your hometown what are your biggest roadblocks? What are the biggest obstacles you run into? In terms of why people think space exploration is worthwhile? No, I guess why would they? Yeah, exactly. But what is their counter argument? And, and where do you find the most substantive guard counter arguments for, you know, that's too sci-fi. We shouldn't be doing that right now when we get all this shit going on down here, essentially. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll say that I do get the question, you know, why are we investing money in space exploration when we have so many problems down here on earth? I get, I get that question a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, but I find that question inherently so funny because it sounds very (laughs) much like, you know, like why do we have e-commerce when we have so many problems around the world? 
Um, because it's like space exploration is an industry. It's a place to do business. There are private companies all over the world who are making money from space-based technologies. So it's just like a, an economy, right? It, It helps boost the economy of various countries around the world. And so then, then you can refocus and say, okay, that's fine. Who cares about commercial companies? I care about the government. Why is our government investing money in space exploration. And to them, you know, I say for three main reasons. And it's one, to help boost commercial companies, um, kind of like they did with the airline industry. You know, um, the airline industry wouldn't be what it was, what it is today without the early R&D from organizations like NACA, which is NASA's predecessor, they mm-hmm. did a lot of the very expensive, very time-consuming research and development required to make air travel safe and cost-effective, right? Sure. And then you pass it over to the airline industry to work out the rest of the economic kinks. But um, a lot of that R&D is too expensive for any private Um, company to actually invest in. And so they do that for various... NASA also does that for the airline industry today, various airplanes today, but also with rockets today. You know, SpaceX wouldn't be SpaceX today without all of the work that NASA had done, all the legwork NASA had done um, in the early years. And then the second reason is because, you know, you might feel okay about the commercial side of things. But then you're like, well, why do we care about sending probes to different planets and moons? Why do we care about um, investing government money in that? And the reason for that is that, you know, it's human nature to try to understand the inner workings of this universe that we have been born into. That is what makes our species different than every other species here on Earth. And for possibly a more self-serving reason, we learn about other planets so that we can better understand the planet that we live on. Sure. Um, for example, Venus. We learn about Venus because Venus is basically, people refer to it as like Earth's evil twin. <laughs> yeah. It is also a, a rocky <laughs> right. planet. It is about the same size as Earth, has about the same um, gravity as Earth, but it is a Boy, fiery is warm there. hellscape. Very, very warm there with like boiling oceans and acid rain. It no longer Uh, has any water because it is all boiled off. And it is very much a cautionary tale of what our planet could be like with a runaway greenhouse effect, like what Venus has. And so learning more about Venus helps us understand what our planet could be like when we (laughs) pump greenhouse gas emissions uh, and burn fossil fuels on this planet of ours. And then the third reason, so you have, you know, boost commercial... Uh, companies, help commercial companies get on their feet. Then you have the scientific aspect of learning about the universe and understanding our place in it. Mm-hmm. But the the third reason is because, you know, 99.9% of species that have lived on Earth have gone extinct. And to our knowledge, that's because none of them had a space program, right? Yeah. Because something terrible happened here on planet Earth and they could not escape to anywhere else. Right. And so we send humans into space. We learn how to live in space. We want to send humans further out into the solar system, learn how to bring humans to another planet because we want to better our chances of survival. We want to fight the odds of extinction. And so it's kind of like bringing, you know, humans to Mars is like backing up the human race on a Martian hard drive. And I understand why that feels so sci-fi to people. I totally get it. It does feel like, boy, this came on quickly that you're telling me we definitely need to do this thing. 
And, you know, and Elon Musk talks about uh, ha- having a backup plan and how he's hell bent on that. But if you, again, if you take a step back, I mean, in, in what universe, <laughs> literally, uh, is not having a backup plan <laughs> a good idea? You know, even if shit right. wasn't really going wrong. I mean, look, I, I, this is kind of what I mean when I talk about it in the context of, of past issues we've dealt with, whether it was the nuclear threat or the Cold War or, or again, or, or Bay of Pigs or, or, or plagues or pandemics, whatever. Like you said, uh, one of my favorite t-shirts, literally part of the tone of our entire business is based on this amazing t-shirt I have, which is, uh, it says asteroids, nature's way of saying, how's that space program going? Um, mm-hmm. and, and uh, it's, yeah. it's totally true, but we also look at it where, yes, the, the nuclear issue didn't go away with, with certain votes and certain changing of things. And, and there are certain issues that you can just vote away and everything stops or it gets better, whether it's healthcare, yada, yada. But we have now created issues that don't just go away with a single vote, like climate change. We have set in, in motion a number of things that we just can't turn off. Like if we did go to zero carbon right now across the board and even started to pull it back out of the air, we're, we're running 30 to 40 years behind, right? And, and the past couple of weeks have been a pretty gnarly sign of that. But yeah. so I can see where you'd be like, we have so much else to deal with here. But that's exactly why I feel like pushing farther out, pushing our technologies, our ideas of what technology could be, uh, you know, to, to fly for power, for air, for food, for building, for 3D printing, for protection from radiation or uh, identifying, classifying, investigating exoplanets. It seems sci-fi, but we have to simultaneously build this backup plan. There's no like we fix climate change and then we do that. Right. And then yeah. it's it's also to point out, we don't leave our planet because we are trying to leave all of our problems. It's like you can simultaneously go to another place in our solar system and also still work on problems here on Earth. I mean, it's not like the people that live on Mars are going to not have any connection back to Earth. Like this will always be our first home. Everyone who goes to Mars will have family that they love here on Earth. And so we're not going to Mars because we're like, ah, Earth has been ruined. We just got to find a new, yeah, we're out of here. Like we got to find a new planet. Like, no, people who, you know, uh, were early explorers didn't leave the areas that they were in because they were just like, you know what? There's lots of problems there. Let's just start over and see if we can, you know, create this perfect environment where there's no problems. Like that's not a realistic mindset. And if anybody did, they got a pretty rude awakening. I mean, I, you know, I, yeah. I, I'm from and and I'm currently in Williamsburg, Virginia, where Jamestown was, is. And, uh, you know, there are some people who showed up with that mindset. And let me tell you, grass is not always greener, man. <laughs> let me, uh, side note, have you ever heard of um, this little organization called Asgardia. Oh I have. Uh, so yes. <laughs> Brian has signed up for this. Uh, and now he did it for the good of the, of the podcast. Yeah. He's pretty reluctant about it now. Cause I harass him pretty good about it. Um, yeah, you sure do. Yeah. It's pretty amazing though. Uh, there are some people there like, you know what? We're, uh, I think we're out of here, which is interesting. I mean, do you have Emily? W- what do you know of Asgardia? Do you have any, Thoughts on it? Don't, Is it just don't ridiculous? him in this, please. Uh, I, I don't actually know too much about it other than they had that um, Neither huge, does he. huge uh, <sighs> celebratory event recently yes. where they yes. appointed their first head of state. But no, I don't know too much about it. I believe he yeah. has a, what was it, Brian? A ceremonial necklace? Yeah, I think he has. A, it was a whole ridiculous celebration, I believe. That, you, oh, yeah. that you missed. <laughs> that I missed. And maybe happily. Uh-huh. 
Uh, All right, that's good. Maybe we should keep it at that. Yeah. Let's walk away slowly. So (laughs) let's let's pine this guy a little bit here. Emily, so you're the head of NASA and you get to double the budget for the next 10 years. Again, we try to hang with what's happening right now or what's going to happen in the next 20 years. What are your top three priorities for the next 10 years with a, with a doubled budget, which I don't think people realize is still like a tiny amount of government funding. Yeah. Yeah. Right now we have less than half a percent of the entire, entire federal budget. Yeah. So if the entire federal budget was a dollar, we'd have about half a penny for NASA. Um, So in this, in the grand scheme of things, it's, you know, it's not a huge amount, but it is certainly, it's like $19 billion, which is no small amount. So you can do a lot with that. But I guess one thing that I would probably do is focus a lot of that into human exploration to Mars, because there's this joke that, you know, sending humans to Mars is perpetually 10 to 15 years away. Right. uh, Because you start a program and then four to eight years later, there's another president who wants to change the focus and have their own big goal. And it's a ping pong effect between going to Mars and then the next administration says, no, not Mars. Let's go back to the moon. And then the right. ne- next one is like, not moon, Mars, not Mars, moon. <laughs> and then all of these projects that they build that are specifically designed for one of those planetary bodies gets mothballed. And then eight years later, all the technology is outdated. And so it just Jeez. will, it keeps getting, you know, delayed, delayed, delayed. And so unless we set, a short time frame that is going to be sustainable over the course of, you know, passing administrations or something that you can get done in eight to 10 years, like Apollo, sure. then it's just, it's going to be hard to actually make happen in the near future. So and yeah, I would double, double down on, on either Mars or the moon just to get one of those sure. done. Some, something back going. And I think, um, was it Apollo? I think NASA's budget was 4% of the, of the budget, something like that. At that time, that sounds right. Yeah, that yeah. sounds. It's, yeah, which would definitely. just be—I mean, right now would just be a stupid amount of money. It would be incredible, and we—we're not asking for wow. that much. I mean, it'd be great, but—but uh, <laughs> but we can do so much with 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 just a little more. And and I will say, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the the current president has has tried to demolish both you know national science uh, money and basic science research money and NASA's budget and for whatever reason, Congress keeps contradicting him and, and actually raising it, which is shocking and wonderful. I know. I, yeah. Every time I'm really pleasantly fucking surprised by that. I know, especially like, yeah, as he wanted to cut the entire education budget at NASA, which <laughs> I have never heard of a more Jesus. short, just a very silly, silly thing. Uh, like uh, would oh. be absolutely disastrous, especially for communities um, like West Virginia. Hey guys, it's Quinn. If you're listening to this, you obviously like podcasts and you probably like music too. On Spotify, you can listen to all of that in one place for free. You don't even need a premium account. On Spotify, you can follow your favorite podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can download episodes to listen to offline wherever you might be. And you can easily share what you're listening to with your friends via Spotify's integrations with social platforms like Instagram. Spotify has a huge catalog of podcasts on every topic, including the one you're listening to right now. You can just search for Important Not Important on the Spotify app 
or browse podcasts in the Your Library tab. Very convenient. And of course, you can follow us so you never miss an episode of Important Not Important. Uh, Spotify is the world's leading music streaming service, and now it can be your go-to for podcasts, too. For example, um, one of the best things that ever happened to me um, growing up in West Virginia was something called the NASA Space Grant. And the NASA Space Grant, every state has one, and they're funded by NASA's Education Office budget. And so basically the space grant in each state helps the kids in that state find NASA programs, NASA internships, NASA research, NASA fellowships, so that they can get paid to learn about the space industry. And that works really, really well in states like West Virginia, because Mm -hmm. in states like Massachusetts, where you have the MITs and the Harvards, or basically any other state that has those fancy schools, big companies will come to you to recruit. They mm-hmm. will go to you and find the opportunities will come to you. Sure. But in a state like West Virginia, those big companies aren't coming to recruit you. Yeah. And so you need someone there on your side to help you find opportunities to help level the playing field between all these fancy, expensive schools and state schools like West Virginia, where I went to for undergrad. And then Trump comes in and says, you know what, we're just going to cut the entire education budget. That would demolish every NASA space grant in every state. And that hits pretty close to home to you, huh? It hits close to home because I wouldn't be where I am without the NASA space grant because nobody was paying attention to me when I was, you know, an undergrad student at a state school in West Virginia mm-hmm. other than NASA. So yeah, it's the it's a pretty ridiculous thing to do and it would make the dichotomy between the rich and the poor um even more uh it would create an even larger gap between the opportunities between those two, especially Which is hard to do at that industry. at this point. I know, I know. He's ambitious. <laughs> uh, that's a kind way of putting it. Um yeah. all right. Yeah, so that's something. that's uh so human exploration to either Mars or Moon uh is priority number one. What else you got? Oh definitely exploring different icy worlds. Mm-hmm. So uh, places like Enceladus and Europa, mm-hmm. um, these moons of Saturn and of uh, Jupiter are places that we think might be hospitable for life. Sure. And we haven't really explored them fully yet. And so I would want to do a ton of planetary exploration, um, focusing a lot on those two icy worlds to dig in deeper Um, And really try to understand whether or not life exists there. Because I I think that once we find any type of life, whether it be intelligent life or even simple, basic microbial life, Mm -hmm. it will change the way that we think about human life and the universe. Because once we find life on two different places, then we know that life is everywhere. Mm -hmm. Because if it happened here, we're the only place that we found life. Um, And so there's this crazy possibility that maybe we are the only perfect, perfect environment where life could have thrived and survived. But if we find it right next door, then perhaps life is throughout the universe and completely ubiquitous. There's a really interesting update uh, to to the Fermi paradox question just last week or the week before. Did you see that? No, I don't think so. Somebody ran, I'll, I'll send it to you. I think somebody, I know what you're talking about. Somebody ran, so we linked to it. Um, somebody yeah. ran some new numbers and was like, listen, it's, uh, it might be worse off than we thought. Um, something mm. like, hey, now look, it's, I can't remember if it was 40 or 60% chance that we are solo. 
uh, yeah, that yeah. we are that we are. That it's not guaranteed, but they they changed uh, some factor of, and I can't remember because my my mind is a black hole uh, and not in the best way. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a really interesting question. But yes, just finding a second iteration of it, much less close to home, makes you go like, oh, that math is way off. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, in that some is a humbling. Yeah, very scary type um, of. I, I have a, I have a bunch of little kids. Um, so many. And, uh, my <laughs> oldest is, um, they're all very curious. They all love, they all love space. Uh, we've def- we definitely already had a few of your books, uh, before this happened. Oh, yay. Uh, oh, oh yeah, for awesome. sure. They, they love this stuff. That's awesome. Um, but we were talking about, um, we were talking about, uh, Enceladus recently. Oh, we were, we were, we were down at the beach. There wasn't much light pollution. We we're looking up to the sky. We could look at some planets and somehow we got to the topic of Europa and Enceladus and, I mentioned, you know, there might be uh, salty oceans underneath the ice. And my my son was like, oh, what do you think's under there? And I said, well, I don't know. It could be anything. And he paused for a minute. He goes, I hope it's full of teeth. And I was like, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> like, who knows? We have no idea. I was like, but That's listen, really I was funny. like, buddy, uh, you know, we, we live in L.A., so we have some friends who are actual rocket scientists out at, uh, out at JPL. And I was like, listen, ma'am, somebody's got to design that sub that gets out there and, and finds out That's it's right. full of teeth. Like we need you, man. And he was like, okay, I got this. And I was like, rock on dude, go get to it. You are, uh, you are doing the thing that we always talk about getting yeah. your kids excited about like being in to science when they're adults. Cause guess what? We're going to need you trying to, but I'm so tired and Emily has so much energy. I need her. Yeah. That's, <laughs> true. That's true. I'll do the heavy lifting. Carry the slack. All right. So let me ask you a, an alternative. So let's say you're, um, and take this the right way, a female Elon, Elon Musk who's privately funded, or I guess they're publicly on the stock exchange, but you're a lady, so you're not like a social idiot like he is. Um, <laughs> but the point is uh, you've got a company like SpaceX. What do you do? What do you do different than what he's doing now? And also from what we just talked about with, with NASA. Oh gosh. I don't know that that's, uh, I mean, what Musk is doing I can't imagine doing whatever he's doing any better. He is working like hand in hand with NASA and being a um, provider for um, like a launch provider for the air force and Mm -hmm. for military assets and working the legal gymnastics extremely well. I mean, to be honest, it is very, very hard to imagine any way that anyone can do what he's doing in the space industry any better than he's already doing it, um, other than maybe just signing off of Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I was like I mean, you were gonna say that. I, we couldn't be bigger fans. Uh, and you know, I cry a bucket full of tears, even though we're on the twentieth time the Falcon Nine has uh, been reused. And every time, I'm just like, this is my everything. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, just, just maybe just it's get off magical. of Twitter. Just uh, please. Yeah. I mean, understanding his own power and influence and knowing the types of people that follow him blindly, there's, there's a level of self-awareness that needs to happen <laughs> right. there because it's like when you don't realize your own power and influence, it can be very, very dangerous. But what's really interesting about that, and again, this can totally be used for evil and we can get into comic book movies whenever you're ready, <laughs> is... That lack of self-awareness is really interesting when you hear the stories about how he basically taught himself, uh, you know, versions of at least basic rocket engineering. And when he went over to Russia and they wouldn't sell him the rockets for certain prices and he was flying back and 
opened his laptop to show his scientists and was like, well, what if we just do it like this? There's a, there's a lack of self-awareness there that, that permits you to just not just, you know, step over the things. line, but to, to yeah. try things that other people That's would so either true. be ashamed to do or scared to do or too nervous to do or too uh, conservative to do. And you kind of look at it and go like, look, Tesla's great, whatever they're doing, you know, the issues they're having, I've got one, they're fantastic. But what he has done with SpaceX is, is it's shocking. I mean, he is at times single-handedly dragging us into the future going, we have to do this. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that like that lack of self-awareness, you're right, maybe has played into why he has been so successful. But right now, I think what's being revealed is he also has a lack of empathy for certain people, um, especially journalists, especially female yeah. journalists. Yep. <laughs> um, and so I've seen a lot of pretty hateful stuff happen directly because of the actions that he has taken, because he doesn't know the impact that, you know, his tweets have or the impact that like having a diehard following that will just, sure. um, if anybody says anything critical about you online, they will go after you, death threats, lots of misogyny. Um, they will reach out. I I've had, uh, musk boys as we call them, oh, musk God. boys, what? That's um, a thing? reach out to Bill Nye asking him to fire me from Bill Nye saves the world because I had Jesus. said something that wasn't roaringly positive because I'm never like incredibly negative about Elon Musk because of the amazing things that he's done only negative in the fact that he has, his actions have really hurt some journalists online. Sure. But yeah, yeah, it's not a fun environment being someone who is a journalist um, that covers Elon Musk in a fair way. There was a New York Times headline the other day, which That's was wild. just, you know, again, the, the writers, of the articles, and if you're non-journalism, maybe you don't know this, writers, of the articles do not make up their headlines. Yep. This was kind of incredible. It was, <laughs> I feel like I should find the exact thing, but it was essentially like study shows females on YouTube face harassment. And you're like, really? No shit. Uh, it's just, it, it's, it's incredible. It's, um, it just felt like, wow, how did you just stumble onto that when it's clearly so dark out there for, for, for folks like you that are trying to do the right thing and the positive thing. Carl Sagan said, science is much more than a body of knowledge. It's a way of thinking. And so if you can teach them how to be a critical thinker, how to, you know, find interesting questions to create a hypothesis, to make an experiment, to test that hypothesis, look at the evidence, and then derive a conclusion based on that evidence and apply that to more than just science. Apply that to the news that you're seeing on your newsfeed. Is this news from a reliable source? Let me go and create, uh, go and find evidence to figure out whether or not this source is reliable, whether or not the source is unbiased. What has the source said Mm -hmm. before? If you can apply that to all things in life, then we will have, you know, people that can discern fake news from real news and just be a more scientifically literate society in general. Absolutely. And I guess so great. and, And here's a question for me coming kind of back around to where we started. So what about folks like yourself who have either, who have either, you know, left or grown out of or graduated out of a less than enthusiastic uh, area or kids who are still there, or more importantly, any specific thoughts or, or tips or support? I mean, obviously, we discussed every situation is pretty nuanced um, and they're all different. Um, but giving those specific people the tools um, like your parents 
to like, they are the most important messenger, even more important than you uh, to go in and influence their community. Any thoughts on, on that front? Because, you know, it is sort of that it, that's an issue everywhere. I mean, gosh, we talked recently with someone from the ocean conservancy about how much, uh, you know, um, the, the waters, the North Atlantic around Maine and other areas are warming faster than anywhere else in the entire ocean and how that has already started to affect the lobster population and fish populations going north. Right. Um, and will just decimate entire economies. But people like coal mining have built generations of family work and work ethic on these specific things. And it's going to take a lot for them to come to their communities and say, we have to adapt now or we're fucked. So any thoughts on that front? Yeah. I think one thing that I found useful recently is that, like we said before, the messenger is more important than the message, which Mm -hmm. is so true. Like know who you are influential to and make sure that you are a messenger to those people. Mm -hmm. But the message is also very important. So understanding that, you know, different stories will be heard by different people. Meaning when you tell your message, you should bait the hook to suit the fish. Tell a message that will be interesting to the person you are talking to. Mm -hmm. Talk about what they care about, not what you think they should care about. Mm -hmm. For example, with climate change, for, uh, for many years, the big message with climate change or the big like image that articles would post when it came to climate change is this polar bear sitting on a melting iceberg in the middle of this squat. You know, it it was, it was a very powerful image, I guess, in terms of the story it was telling, but not that many people really care about polar bears in a way that's like, you know, I'm going to go to the polls and I'm going to go save this polar bear with my vote. Right. Like that's not going to drive people to make a change in their life. But if you tell the story of climate change, if you're in maybe an audience like West Virginia or another maybe conservative audience, um, talk about how uh, climate change is a national security threat, Mm -hmm. like that climate change itself and global warming itself may not create wars, but it makes all of the things about war uh, more problematic. You know, it creates droughts. It makes unstable regions more unstable because these people become more desperate with these crazy heat waves and droughts. And it makes these desperate people more desperate in areas that of the world that are already very unstable. And so it's putting our military at risk in these Mm -hmm. environments. Mm -hmm. Trump's own national security of defense has named climate change as a um, high national security threat. So the people that are influential in their tribes and their communities already recognize climate change as a national security threat. And so telling that story versus telling a story about polar bears is going to be more impactful. So making sure your message speaks to your audience is something that everybody can try to do. I love that. And and, and I think it does. And we've spoken a little bit about this, you know, uh, Europe faced so many immigration issues in 2015, 2016, seemingly out of nowhere a little bit. And wonderfully, most of them opened their borders to these folks, despite, you know, overwhelming numbers uh, of uh, foreign folks coming in. And they were pretty hospitable. That has now, for the most part, changed with sort of the populist wave that's consuming the, the globe at the moment. But what's interesting and a little terrifying about that is, is it feels like that is really those numbers were the tip of the iceberg compared to what's going to happen as droughts grow and places like Indonesia 
face huge levels of, of, of sea level rise um, in so many of these coastal cities. Um, you know, you look at the numbers out of India alone, they said, you know, 800 million people are, are threatened by climate change in the next uh, 50 years. Yeah. And, you know, to me, that comes back to, you know, both national security, but also empathy, I guess, in general. Yeah, definitely. I like that common thread here, that common theme, empathy. And I feel like co- every time we have one of these conversations, we the some what what comes out of it is that it's it's you can't just go with the the facts and the science. You've got to tell a story, like you just said, Emily, a, a story uh, that the people who you are talking to want to hear. Mm-hmm. So important. Yeah, meet meet them where they are already, not where you think they should be. Right. Right. Yeah. And. Uh, all right. Well, listen, um, just, just again, to summarize. So I guess when, when arguing for, for space, you know, focus on the commercial benefits and the fact that, you know, anything that is profitable now was funded or started by the government, because as you said, federal budgets dwarf what any private company can do. And that's true, whether you're talking and malaria or, or anyone else, it's just not this, it's a paradigm shift between the two amounts of money and what it takes to get those companies going so that they can then reap the profits and participate later, like uh, someone like SpaceX is doing and what a huge marketplace it could possibly be in the future. Focus on our need for scientific learning as humans, our need for exploration, but also of course, as, as the pure simultaneously developed backup plan that is seemingly uh, more necessary every day. Uh-huh. For climate change, uh, you know, if they're focused on national security, then let's focus on national security and talk about droughts and, and things like that. And the fact that, you know, again, the military has said over and over again that this is one of their the biggest issues that they are facing going forward. And just in general, use the scientific method and uh, and vet what you hear. There are resources out there. Um, there's a lot of misleading stuff online, but there's some wonderful resources out there that can and help you educate yourself and and folks around you. Does that uh, all sound about right? Yeah, I think you summarized that pretty well. No, that's shocking. <laughs> So, Beautiful. Well, we're getting close to time here, huh? Yeah, yeah, we are. You wanna wanna hit her with our uh, pseudo lightning round? We got a pseudo lightning round for you. First of all, again, thank you so so much for for talking with us today, Emily. It's been fantastic. We were very excited to have you on. Yeah, thank you. Uh, no, I was just gonna say, uh, is there anybody else you feel like we should talk to? Anyone out there that's on the front lines uh, that can help answer some of these big questions that folks are curious about and acting on or need to act on? Any that you anybody you really believe in and uh, follow out there? Yeah, I mean, basically all of the YouTubers who are doing science right now are people that have lots of really wonderful opinions. So I believe his name is Joe Hansen. He does okay. smarter every day. He does he has a really cool new um, YouTube series about climate change. Yeah, Joe Hansen is his name, but I forget what's his. Oh, it's okay to be smart. They all have like oh, nice. very similar names. Sure. Um, but yeah, his is, a, it's okay to be smart, but he has a really cool new um, uh, climate change series that is interesting. Vanessa Hill is a really great YouTuber who has a lot of interesting thoughts on, you know, psychology and neuroscience and just a, a lot of how, um, you know, humans are irrational creatures and how mm-hmm. they cope with that irrationality with day-to-day stuff. Yeah. All those people are very, very wonderful. 
Excellent. Awesome. 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 Yeah, we're we're the enthusiasm is is impressive and much needed. And uh, you know, I don't know how much we can actually move the needle. Uh, we try to uh, with our with our ever growing list of of listeners and readers. Um, but you guys are are doing such a service out there, and we we do really appreciate it. So uh, again, this sort of lightning round here, real quick, and then we'll get you out of here. Save um, this first question. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Emily, when was the first time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? Oh man, I would say probably in college. Um, I yeah. won like my uh, national scholarship called the Truman Scholarship, which was something that I did not think that I ever had a chance of actually winning. And there were only 50 students in the country that were chosen, and I was one of them. And oh. I also think that once that had happened, I was like, oh, okay, uh, maybe me and these 50 other, 49 other kids can be impactful in our own way. So yeah, I think that kind of changed my mindset on what type of in- impact I could have, whether it just be, you know, within my own state or on the national stage. Sure, what, sure. What, what um, won you that scholarship? So they, that's a public service scholarship. Okay. So you have to propose a policy in your own field that you would like to pass, you know, if you had the ability. And the policy that I proposed was that NASA, this was, you know, 11 years ago now, that NASA would would partner more with private companies. Hey. To, yeah, to both kind of bring NASA back in the public eye again, make NASA cooler for um, students and for just the general public to help garner that public support mm-hmm. and to help boost those public, um, to help boost those private companies. Awesome. So awesome. You started this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah I think it was all me. <laughs> I love it, man. Uh, so Emily, who is someone in your life that's positively impacted your work in the past six months? Oh gosh. Past six months. Mm-hmm. Getting specific. See. What have I been doing in the past six months? Actually, <laughs> I ask myself that every day. <laughs> January. Let's see. I'd like my go-to answer for something like this in recent years has always been Bill Nye. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly because, you know, I looked up to Good him when answer. I was younger, but in the last year and a half, I've been able to actually see him work. Mm-hmm. I've been in the room while he prepares for his monologues and prepares for his um, for what he wants to talk to the audience with. And seeing someone in their element who is a master of their craft, um, being able to be in the same room with that person as they prepare for that creative delivery has been so impactful because you you see the final product, but you don't often see um, the work that it takes to get there. And so being able to watch that happen has been really impactful because you realize that this creative product that you see that is so wonderful and put together and amazing isn't simply natural talent that you can shoot from the hip and mm. have this wonderful product. It takes a lot of yeah, you had to um, work hard. <laughs> diligent. Yeah. You have to you have to really practice. You have to do your research and it it takes work for everyone. And so being able to realize that, you know, n- talent is one is one aspect of it, natural talent, but putting the hours in matters so much. So being able to see that has really impacted the way that I kind of approach uh, my public speeches and when I go in front of audiences and things like that. I love that because it does apply to, you know, there's this thing out there that's called, uh, the, the mantra is basically like never meet your heroes. 
because yeah. a lot of times you can be disappointed. But the opposite of that is someone like Bill, who's been in the public eye and has been putting himself in the public eye for everyone's benefit for so long that it's easy to look at him and be like, look, it's just this, uh, you know, crazy, smart, sort of crazy guy who's out there just spouting about science and how awesome it is and how impactful he's been. But then to see how the sausage is made and how much work goes into it when you're someone who's trying to do something similar in the next generation must be so impactful. Yeah. And I, and recently I saw the documentary that was on Bill's life, the Bill Nye film, I think it's called. And it just, it puts things in perspective of this man who really is on a quest to try to make people understand science a little bit better and try to find the best way to do that. And it makes him feel more human and more real because he has, you know, family and and family troubles like all of us. Mm -hmm. And he is working very hard in terms of, you know, trying to make something of himself, make himself more famous so that he has a larger platform so that people will be interested in what he has to say. And it just made him feel way more tangible and real. Sure. And that's so important to recognize that there are complicated characters like ourselves. Exactly. Um, yeah. Not just, oh, it's easy for you over there with your solar panels to talk about how everything is changing. But what about me? And it's yeah. like, no, we're we're all in this thing together, man. And, you know, it makes you just appreciate the, the lifetime of work that some of these folks have put in as well. It can be daunting, yeah. um, but it's also just so impressive. What do you do when you're overwhelmed by all of this? Oh, by like the news and everything. Yeah. Whatever, whatever finally gets you go like, man, what a day. Yeah. Um, wine is a <laughs> nice, very Emily. powerful are coping you, are mechanism. A, are you a red girl? White? What's, what's your flavor? My wife says uh, tequila. Yeah. Oh, I <laughs> yeah, love tequila very, wine. Very particular type of wine. Yeah. Um, I, I like sparkling rosé. Uh, nice. That's my newest kick. Um, it's so good. It is so good. Not too sweet, a <laughs> little dry. It is just phenomenal. Um, but uh, in addition to that, logging offline for a while yeah. can be really oh, yeah. helpful just to recenter yourself, quote unquote, and just, you know, kind of touch base with your own life. And remember that, like, you know, there, there are terrible things that happen in the world, but then you can refocus on the good things that are in your own life and then be like, okay, get that energy back to go out and fight the good fight again in maybe a day or so. Yeah. We talked about that recently with another guest too. I think that's such a good answer. Re, re, recenter, refocus, re, refocus. Yeah, and then then tackle the next uh, obstacle with with that mindset instead of the like, you know, aggravated. Yeah, areas, you know, right. So much better outcome when you do that way. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that last thing. But you were talking about how the threats that you face from Elon's fanboys and from some of the other folks online, and I mentioned there was an article in the New York times and the headline said women making science videos on YouTube face hostile comments, which just felt like the most understated headline of, (laughs) of like the two thousands. It's just uh, yeah, yes, yes, they do. It's, it's dark out there, but you know, I think we just want to say thank you for putting up with that shit because it's so important. Very much. Ah, That's really nice to hear. Yeah, it is. uh, Usually in my line of work, I don't get the, the worst of it because I do a lot of my work on TV and luckily there is no um, comment section no comments. <laughs> on your living room television. Uh-huh. 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 Can you imagine? Oh, Not Lord. Yet. Jesus, no. But yeah, when, um, whenever I do anything on YouTube, for example, or on Twitter, of course, cause I, 
try to post thoughts and opinions on Twitter as well. How dare I? Um, <laughs> yeah. What are you thinking? That, <laughs> that's when the armpit of the internet comes out. Oh, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> All right. When, uh, when, you, when you are online, when you get back online, uh, how do you consume the news, Emily? My go-to is Twitter. Um, I just make sure I'm following all the major news networks yeah. on Twitter to make sure that I can, you know, find exactly what's happening and then click through to read from Twitter. So, you know, I don't go just to CNN or just to New York Times or whatever, but I follow all of those publications on Twitter. And then when a big news event happens, especially when the president does something ridiculous. I also try to check like Fox News, for example, to see what they're saying about it. Oh, yeah. Because I, I know like so much of my family and my husband's family, they're from Missouri. Like mm -hmm. they only get their news from Fox News. Yeah. And so it's very important to just understand what they're hearing. Like what sure. information are they getting? Because that's literally the only source of information that they're going to hear about that news event. So yeah. what are they hearing about this? Yeah, it's important. It does help you listen and it helps you empathize if you're at least somewhat prepared for the foundation. Well, yeah, right. Building on. Right, right, exactly. right into what you were saying. Got to empathize. You got to know what they're thinking. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Oh, such a good question. I, I hope you're ready. If you could Amazon Prime one book to Donald Trump, what would it be? Oh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Oh, I love how fast um, you I think that that book is a book that all humans should read because it teaches you how to be a decent human being. <laughs> it, it sounds so douchey, like that is the douchiest title <laughs> ever. <laughs> but it really just is like, you know... Um, when you go to an, uh, a function and you're meeting someone and you want to get them to like you, ask them questions about themselves and Damn, then yeah. listen to the answer. And it's like nobody likes being like criticized or questioned when they are, if they are just like telling a story um, at a social event and you want to make sure that they know that they pronounce this word wrong. You don't need to be the person to tell them that because uh -huh. that will make them dislike you. <laughs> like, oh, man, I love this book already. It's like such basic stuff. It teaches you how not to be an actually type person Ugh. in a conversation where they're just like, oh, well, actually, I don't know that you actually know that thing right. correctly. <laughs> don't be that guy. Yeah. Don't, don't be that guy. And this, this book teaches you just the basic rules of how to be a decent human being. By the way, I love that you kept saying guy because it's so true. It's just, it's the mansplaining thing where you're just, the actually is such an, like an epidemic of, of male, oh, we're just such disasters. It's <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will say I, when that stuff happens, it is never a woman. So it's a hashtag, not right. all men, but also hashtag no, never women. Never it's, <laughs> it's, yeah. It let's be, it's most, it's most of us. It's just terrible. We're just the worst. Uh, well, that's an awesome suggestion. I, I do love that. And you're right. It just teaches you to just be a good human. Yeah. Wild that the president needs to read that book. Anyway. Yeah. Brian, finish it up. Groovy. Um, yeah. Can you just, uh, just let us know where um, our listeners can follow you online, Emily? Yeah. Um, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, I am at The Space Gal. The Space Gal. And then my website is thespacegal.com. Oh, awesome. awesome. Perfect. Awesome. Awesome. Emily, we can't thank you so much. Uh, thank you enough for, for your for your time today and for all that you do out there and what you put up with and how hard you worked 
uh, back in your own community and with the people you come from to to help uh, get them on board, despite the challenges, the very real challenges in, in a lot of ways that they're facing and that they've dealt with. It is important for all of us uh, that those that those folks get moving, but uh, both understand that it can take some time and some patience, but also, you know, we got to keep <laughs> keep this train moving because it's getting real fast. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that can only, that sort of enthusiasm and, and spreading that can only extend further to things like space exploration. So we can, uh, find out what else is out there and, and, and find another place to go. And for Brian and his ridiculous as Guardia people to finally have somewhere to go. Listen, <laughs> it's, we're just at the beginning. Okay. This could, this might get better. Might, well, maybe. Well, <laughs> we'll see. Um, anyways, Emily, thank you. Keep kicking ass. Uh, thank and, you very and thank much you for your time. Yeah. Thanks guys. Awesome. We will talk soon. Bye. Enjoy the cool weather in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. All right. Talk soon. Bye. Thanks to our incredible guest today. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. Just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important, Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us, you know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. And you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally... Most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thanks.